There's a story told about a, a rabbi who loved to play golf. It was, his, it was his real passion in life. And so he woke up one Jewish Sabbath day and he opened the curtains and it was a lovely day. And he thought, this is absolutely a golf day. And he thought to himself, look, I could get out in the course. I could get a quick round of golf in, back home, showered, and down to the synagogue before anybody would know. Um, so he's out there and he's having a great time. And the angels go up to God and they say, look, God, uh, look, there's a rabbi down there. He says, yep, yep, I can see him. And they say, but he's, he's playing golf on the Sabbath. And he says, yes, I know. And the angels say, well, look, God, you need to teach him a lesson. And so at the next hole, uh, the rabbi gets a hole in one. And the angels go up to him and say, God, look, we're a bit puzzled about that. I mean, I thought you were going to teach him a lesson. And he said, I have. And the angel said, well, what do you mean? And he said, who can he tell? <laughs> and I think that sort of reflects the view of some people in this country about Sunday, that it is this uh, sort of this slightly negative view. The swings are tied up so people can't do things. Um, this idea that somehow God's out to get us on Sabbath and we need to have this very legalistic view. And you've shared your own stories about Sabbath and, or about Sunday and what it was like for you. And even encountering one or two people, there's a great diversity in that. Uh, I mean, I was certainly raised in a household where you were allowed to kick a football, but you couldn't actually play a game of football in any organized sense. You could hit a tennis ball around, but you certainly couldn't engage in a match of any sort. There's great debates about surfing. That seemed to cause a great deal of issue in our household. Um, TV definitely couldn't be watched, uh, but the radio was allowed to be on. And you couldn't get the Sunday papers, but you could get the Monday papers that were written on a Sunday. And we get into all sorts of fascinating debates and arguments. Um, so, going back to the commandment again for a moment, and I'll hit that off because there's nothing else on it. And Stephen will help me there. Um, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall do all your work. Uh, implicit in the command is a command that we should work. And I'd love to go off on that tangent on my faith at work hat. But that would be, I could do, I'd be off for the whole night on that. But just implicit within this command is the command that we are supposed to work on those six days. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord our God. We're not to work, neither your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, the aliens with, or the strangers within your household. Um, because we're modeling God on that. In six days, he made heaven and earth. And so the commandment is deeply rooted within creation. We rest because God rested. The creation, uh, in creation, God looked and he saw that all that he had made was good and he was looking uh, in terms of space and the created things and he thought that they were good but then he said time is holy. So space is good but time is holy. Uh, the Sabbath day was made holy. And the rest of the world and other religions were in that day and still are I think very much in this day interested in holy places but God is interested in a holy day, holy time. Uh, Sabbath is sanctified time. God blessed it and he made it holy. And it comes at the pinnacle of the creation story. Um, it's building towards this climax. We're building up and most people think, I suppose, the creation of human beings is really the climax of creation. But that's the sixth day and then we have the seventh day. The pinnacle, in a sense, is, is about rest. That's the end point of the creation story and it's actually the overall kind of movement of the whole biblical story. Rest is a really key theme. And Sabbath rest was possible because the chaos was ordered by God uh, when he took control of things. Uh, he brought order to chaos. That's what creation's about, and that's what it's telling us. And so to reject Sabbath is to reject that ordering and, and to want to go back into chaos. It's to reject God, to uncreate, to undo what he did. And Sabbath means simply to cease, to desist, uh, to stop, to rest. And it's linked with another noun that means a seat or a dwelling place. 
So the original Sabbath is not about a day of worship. That's not the main connotation. It's about a day of rest. It's about sitting still, dwelling, resting for a time. And so the Israelites, as many of you know, found themselves in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. And under Pharaoh, they never could rest. It was more bricks and more bricks and more bricks. And the pyramids got higher and higher and the weights on their backs got heavier and heavier. And God says, you need to take a day off. Uh, You're not to be a slave to work. And so this Sabbath commandment is spoken out as this community goes on the Exodus journey out of Egypt and receives these Ten Commandments. And this guy called Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament theologian, says it's probably the most important evangelical discipline and the most difficult retreat from Pharaoh, or he likes to call it pharaonic economics, the kind of pressure of the world, the consumerism, the greed, the drive of the 24-7 culture that existed in Egypt and is very similar to the kind of driven, greedy, power-hungry world that we have today. So he's saying this rest commandment is the most important, maybe the most important evangelical discipline and the most difficult retreat from the way the world wants to operate. So how was Sabbath understood in the Old Testament? What does the Bible have to say about it? Well, in a sense, there were three types of Sabbath. There's the Sabbath day that we've talked about, this one day and seven, imaging God in creation. But there's also a Sabbath year in Leviticus 25. Uh, the land was to have this Sabbath year of rest. You weren't to sow anything. You weren't to prune or to till the ground. Uh, you weren't to gather or to, to store up any of the crops from the land. You could consume stuff that just grew fresh. You could just pick it and eat it there and then. But it was to be a Sabbath for the land for the benefit of the land, but also for the benefit of your servants and strangers because they could come in and pick from your crops during that seventh year because you weren't uh, growing them and harvesting them in an organized way. And the beasts of the earth were also to come in, the cattle, uh, animals were to come in and eat off your land. So this Sabbath year was something slightly different. Uh, uh, And on that Sabbath year, again, we read in Deuteronomy about the cancellation of debts, uh, and that's to relieve the burden on poor people. So you have that going on in the Sabbath year. And then you had the Sabbath of Sabbaths, uh, seven sevens, the 49th year leading into the Jubilee year that you hear about from time to time, which was celebrated on the 50th year. And again, in Leviticus 25, you read about that. Um, This is a year of liberty that is declared over the people. And it's a reminder that God owns the land. Everything is his. And in Jubilee, he wants every family to return to their own land. Uh, He wants the land to be redeemed And so on the Day of Atonement, the Jubilee trumpet literally is blown to announce this year of freedom, this year of release, this holy year, this Sabbath of Sabbaths. And it was this constant marker against the sort of greed and the desire to acquire more and to add field to field and get bigger plots of land and to grow your property empire and to become more powerful and more controlling. And so the Old Testament has these three, the day, Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, and the Sabbath of Sabbaths, the 49th year leading into Jubilee. I think that's more than there are three aspects of Sabbath, three things that when you read about Sabbath in the Bible, you'll constantly get three angles on it. There's a, a theological angle, an angle towards God, that we are reminded that God's our creator. And that's a key aspect of Sabbath, is to be, to be reminded that everything we have comes on gift from God. He is the ultimate creator. Um, and so we cancel debts because he's canceled our debts. And, and he freed Israel from the bondage and slavery of Egypt, and, and he freed us from our bondage and slavery that we find ourselves in. And the Israelites didn't plant anything in the seventh year. It was a step of faith and trust that God would provide for them in the seventh year. And so we're reminded of our need to trust and rely on God 
and that we are nothing without him. We have to depend on him. So it orientates us firstly towards God, but it also has a, a strong social aspect to it. And in Exodus 32, we're told that the purpose of the seventh year is so that the poor and the animals can come in and they can eat from your fields and your vineyards and your olive trees. Your, your ground was to be open for anybody to come in and take from. You were to set your slaves free, you were to cancel debts, and you were to allow others to eat from your land. And so Sabbath is a time orientated towards community and towards family. Everybody was to have that day off so you could share the day together, the year off similarly, so that you could share that time together. And it cannot and could not be practiced in isolation, Sabbath. It had to be interacting with other people because you were cancelling others' debts, you were inviting them to share in your food. It required interaction with others. And finally, it clearly had an environmental aspect because, again, of this Sabbath year for the land Sowing is not permitted, not, you're not to prune or to harvest your land, you're to let it lie fallow for that year. Uh, and so the land itself was to get rest and the animals were to be able to feed off your land. So it has that theological orientation towards God, the social orientation towards the rest of the community and an environmental orientation. We're reminded that it is God's land and we are to allow it to, to lie uh, fallow and to rest. And so that's what Israel was supposed to do. That's what we are supposed to do as people engrafted into Israel. As the new Israel, we're supposed to follow those kind of principles. Um, But Israel had a problem with it. And the prophets tell us that they did. They ended up in exile. They ended up being taken away to Babylon because they didn't obey Sabbath. And you read in Leviticus, it tells us very plainly in in chapter 26 that one of the main reasons they were taken into captivity is because they didn't let the land rest. They didn't observe Sabbath. in Jeremiah 34, it tells us again that they, because they didn't give slave, their slaves the liberty that they needed, because they didn't cancel their debts and set them free on the Sabbath year, they ended up in captivity. And in Second Chronicles 36, you get perhaps the clearest one, that uh, this indication that um, the people were carried off into captivity. They were carried into Babylon uh, until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. Uh, and, and in Second uh, Chronicles 36, verse 21 says, The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken to Jeremiah. The land got the Sabbath that it was supposed to have. Whether, if the people didn't give it to them, then God took them away and gave the land its Sabbath rest. And so the people were taken off into exile to allow the land to rest. Uh, and the prophets just constantly are clear about this. If you don't do Sabbath by which they mean all these things, letting land rest, cancelling debts, everything that's involved in Sabbath, then God's going to make that happen, whether you like it or not, and takes the people off into exile. And so in Isaiah 58, this phenomenally sort of strong passage about the need for justice and social justice, where Jesus says, I'm not interested in the fasting you're doing, where you put on your sackcloth and sort of cry out to me. He says, I'm interested when you feed those who are hungry, when you give clothing to those who don't have clothing, uh, when you house the homeless. And he says there, the bottom line of your fast days is profits. You drive your employees as hard as you possibly can, and you're ignoring Sabbath. Expressly says you've you've ignored Sabbath, you're exploiting your workers. Because Sabbath was to be the stand against the kind of restless drive, the aggressiveness, the the, the desire to acquire as much as we can, to exploit your neighbor for self-gain. And instead, there was to be rest and an enjoyment of the abundance of creation. Sabbath was the cessation from this really feverish activity, which they were suffering in their day and, and seems to me to be similar to the kind of aggressive acquisitiveness, this feverish activity that we have in our world today. And it's not about self, it's about community. It's not about us, it's about God and others. And so they're told that they had missed the point. 
And as if they didn't get that enough, then Jesus comes along and he sort of reinterprets Sabbath again, takes it to a whole new level. And so in Luke 4, we read about him coming to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and, and they hand him the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from chapter 61. And this is his first sort of public declaration, in some ways, of who he is in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And then he says today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And when Jesus is going along, that verse we had up earlier in Mark 2, he says the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, and he declares his lordship over the Sabbath. He seems to be constantly getting into trouble for what he does on the Sabbath, and he's sort of helping us maybe re-understand what it's about. So in Matthew 12, he's out walking with the disciples, and the disciples are just picking little ears of corn, and they're rubbing them together and then just chewing on them. And the Pharisees say, ah, you're breaking Sabbath, that's unlawful. And Jesus starts to tell them, uh, remind them of this incident where David and his troops went into the temple and took the consecrated bread to eat because they were so hungry. Uh, and uh, he points out to them uh, that they desire mercy. Sorry, that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That's what Isaiah 58 is about. And they're just not getting what the Old Testament texts are about. And so he's, he, he's engaging with them and they say, okay, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They ask him. And Jesus says, well, hold on, guys. What do you do when one of your sheep is in trouble? You've got this exemption in your rules that allows you to lift up your sheep and help them. Because that's profit, that's money to you. So you've worked out this little sneaky rule around the side. And so he basically turns and says to them, how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals the guy. And Matthew, in chapter 12, then quotes from Isaiah 42, one of the servant songs, and begins to say this is, uh, that Jesus is here and the Spirit is upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff, snuff out until he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And he is reforming and redefining Sabbath. He's using language around liberty and justice that is Sabbath-type language. And so Matthew follows this whole story, this whole argument about what Sabbath is about, reminding them it's much bigger. It's about justice. It's about setting the captives free. It is about God's Spirit being poured out in the nation until justice comes to victory. And so Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection redefine Sabbath, most obviously in the day in which we observe Sabbath. Because Jewish Sabbath was from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. Uh, and at some point that changed. It's not exactly clear how that, when that did. But by Acts chapter 20, it's clear that there's a Christian Sabbath and a Jewish Sabbath. So a change had gone on where we celebrated then on a Sunday. And the reason is much more important than when exactly it occurred. Because Sunday then is Resurrection Day, as we all know. And, and so something had fundamentally changed. Something had fundamentally shifted. Death had been defeated. And Jesus declared it's finished on the cross. Freedom is available to everyone. And so Sabbath and Jubilee are no longer limited to specific times, to specific years or cycles. We are to remember the first day of the week, but really as a symbol then of the victory and the freedom that Christ won on the cross. And so true Sabbath is about rest and freedom from time and liberation. And these things are fulfilled when God's kingdom finally comes again, when Christ returns and we inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. So the whole direction of the Bible is towards this true Sabbath, the, the pinnacle of creation, the seventh day, the final day, was about rest as we rest, as God rested. Exodus, this sort of paradigmatic, this really significant event, is about getting out of Egypt so that they could rest, a 
away from the oppression and the slavery of Pharaoh. And in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 13, the Lord says, I will give you rest. I give you this land. This promised land was to be a place of rest. That's probably the key feature of the promised land, the whole movement of the Old Testament, away from oppression and slavery and towards rest. And they go into exile because they ignore Sabbath and Jubilee. And then Jesus comes and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am here to announce a Jubilee year, a Sabbath of Sabbaths. That's what I'm about. And then in eternity, time as we know it is no more, it's transcended in a way that we can't really understand. But we have this perpetual Sabbath. We have freedom and rest and Sabbath is just multiplied out beyond what we can comprehend. And so Sabbath is a gift of free time in an otherwise time-bound creation. It is about freedom and it's about social justice. It's about community. It's about being a light to those around us. It's about celebrating the fact that we are made in the image of God. It's about rest and stopping and ceasing. It's about others. It's about the land. It's about trusting God to provide. It's about letting go of debts and possessions. It's about a time to worship. It's about hope in the true rest that is to come. But one of the most common responses when you talk about Sabbath and Sunday and what we're supposed to do is that it's a great ideal, but life is just too difficult. It's too frantic to observe Sabbath. Uh, that was okay for those guys back then, but listen, they're not living in the 24-7, always connected, iPhone, uh, Blackberry culture that we all live in. Well, here is a, a, a U.S. Navy radio communique. Voice one says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Voice two responds, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Voice one, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Voice two, no, I say again, divert your course. Voice one, this is the aircraft carrier Enterprise. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. Divert your course now. Voice two, this is a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) Apparently true. So many of us think that we are very important aircraft carrier type figures and that these rules simply do not apply to us. And it seems to me that God is saying, I'm a lighthouse, you need Sabbath, your call. And Israel learned the hard way because Sabbath does seem to come one way or another by choice or forced upon us. One doctor said, the periods of rest I prescribe to my patients are often Sabbath in arrears. And so we're left with this issue of what what is Sabbath about now? What does it look like? What should it be about? And it seems to me the text is saying we need to find a balance between over-spiritualizing it and over-legalizing it. Over-spiritualizing it is is potentially getting at the idea that the day itself is irrelevant and it's all about the concept. And I think that's true and and people will take Sabbath on different days and I understand why that might be necessary. But it is also important to remember that it has a community aspect. Some of those facts and figures at the start that there are one and a half million parents working this Sunday and there's about a million working both weekend days. And Britain is top of the table across Europe for evening and weekend work, and it is bottom of the table for child well-being in all the statistics. Uh, and most, 62% of shop workers feel under pressure to work on a Sunday. Three-quarters of working mums say that working at a weekend is a job requirement. It's not a choice. Uh, and although the law in theory protects people, uh, my experience anecdotally and from chatting with other folks in the union is that it's very difficult, especially in the current climate, to go to your manager and say, I don't want to work Sunday because lo and behold, you don't get any of the shifts you want and life can be made very awkward for you. And in contrast, 81% of people want to see Sunday protected as a family day, 
uh, and most people want to see it as a different day than the rest of the week. And I'm constantly surprised doing interviews, uh, radio interviews and different things, how many people phone in in support of it and just say, yes, of course we need a, a day off, a time of rest. I say that just to stress, I think the community element is important. So it is important we take Sabbath, and sometimes, because of the nature of the jobs that we do, that will be on a different day. But there has to be a community element to Sabbath. And the fourth commandment talks about the whole household, the whole community enjoying rest together. And so elements of of Sabbath require sharing. It has a social dimension that can be lost if we over-spiritualize it, if we individualize it and say, well, I'm taking my Sabbath. My Sabbath is essentially an oxymoron. I mean, you just can't have that kind of language. That said, we need to be creative, but, but holding on to the communal aspect of it. So we need to wrestle with that in the situations that we find ourselves. But the other side of the pendulum, I suppose, is to over-legalize it. And that's those who want to tie up the swings and have missed the, the whole point of what Sabbath is about. It's so much bigger than I think many people understand it to be. Um, and we're too often like those in Isaiah 58 who are fasting, but if you're, who have forgotten about mercy. And so honoring Sabbath is, about, uh, is a form of witness to other people. It tells the world there is enough. Um, and when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Which really, I suppose, was a trick question. He gave, when you look at it, really a trick answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't have one, you need both. And what links them is God's limitless generosity. Uh, and so when we gather in church each Sunday... We get to ponder sometimes the stories that declare scarcity to be false. Uh, that an impromptu hillside meal will have more leftovers than it began with. That a, dar- sorry, that a barren desert will blossom with manna. And that uh, an earth fully, it is fully equipped to meet people's needs. And so the question is, well, what if that is all true? What if then the link between the creator's generosity and my neighbor's need is me, is us as a community uh, standing in the breach there? And so I think the challenge of Sabbath is it has to involve periodic, regular disengagement from the systems of productivity which uses up and exploits and exhausts people. And that disengagement uh, refers also to culture-produced expectations around frantic leisure, around frantic consumption, and frantic exercise. The other things that we tend to do on Sundays uh, that really are just, again, different versions of culture imposing upon us. And yes, it requires us to be countercultural, and of course that's hard. That's the reality of going against culture at times is difficult. Um, but it's a practice that was designed to protect the marginalized and to remind us all that we are not our own gods. Uh, and it does involve a certain form of resistance against the consumerist society that ancient Israel was engaged in, standing up against Egypt and against the demands of the, of, of the Canaanite culture around it, and that it admittedly failed to do at times. But it seems to me it's more relevant than ever to us today in our driven 24-7 society. A rich businessman was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting beside his boat, and he said, why aren't you out there fishing? And the guy said, because I've caught enough fish for the day. So why don't you catch more than you need, the businessman said. Well, what would I do with him, the fisherman said. He said, well, you could earn more money and buy a better boat, and then you could go deeper and catch more fish, and you could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish, and then you could make even more money. And soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you'd be rich like me. And then the fisherman said to him, well, then what would I do? We said, you could sit down and enjoy life. The fisherman looked out at sea and said, what do you think I'm doing now? It's a reminder the world will not disintegrate if we cease our efforts. It is in God's hands. That's one of the things that Sabbath is about. We are to stop 
and be reminded that God is the person who keeps this world going. Sabbath reminds us of our finiteness, of our need for God, uh, though we are often reluctant to admit it. And, and Sabbath has, is a day of kind of revolutionary equality in society if we embrace it fully. You see, all were to rest equally, regardless of wealth, regardless of power. Uh, and it's a great leveler. The Sabbath day, everybody becomes equal. Nobody is the boss. Nobody is the employee. Nobody is the, the, the master. Nobody is the servant. And similarly then on the Sabbath year and in the Jubilee year, there's this great resetting of the clock, this great leveling going on. Uh, and so it, is a, it brings about a revolutionary equality within society. That's part of what Sabbath was to be about. We all rest on equal terms. Keeping Sabbath is also a foretaste of what is to come. It's an anticipation of what creation will be like when God's kingdom is fully established. It is to be a glimpse of the future. And I suppose the reality is if it's not, then we're doing something wrong. Because it's a glimpse of what is to come. It's a glimpse of what's to come, but it's also an unspoken prayer to God that it will be like that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Sabbath is a chance to mend our tattered lives. So what we do today, even in meeting here, is countercultural. We put the lists of work away. We turn our phones off or at least put them on silent for an hour or two. And we hear the gospel that God loves us, not because of what we produce, not because of the hours that we build or the sales that we made or the patience that we treated but simply because we are creatures made in his image. And we gather not as taskmasters and slaves, workers and consumers, bosses and employees. We gather as neighbors, as equals, um, worthy of respect. And so we sing and we drink coffee and we chat and we discuss and we revel in the reality that this is God's world, not Pharaoh's world, and that life and death belong to God, not Pharaoh, who represents that aggressive, consumer-driven I-world. And Isaiah 58 says this, If you refrain from trampling on Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests in my holy day, if you call Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. If you get Sabbath, you will take delight in the Lord and he will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And he will feed you with the heritage of the earth. So if you get Sabbath, God will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I can't even comprehend what that means, what that looks like. But that seems to me to be the genuine use here of the word awesome promise from God. If you get Sabbath, you will ride on the heights of the earth. That's how important it is for us to understand and to get Sabbath. Um, I'm going to close in prayer and then I think that will be us. But I'm very happy to take questions. I won't have answered everything that you wanted. I don't claim that I will even afterwards. But let's take a moment to pray now and then close. Unwavering in your power, unflagging in your zeal, uncompromising in your position, it is good for us on Sabbath again. It is good for us approaching Advent again to awaken to your will of constancy for your world. We pursue our projects depart to our private dreams, invest in our deepest hopes. But they are fragile and flimsy at best. At worst, they are devious and destructive. Either way, they pale before your constancy. We gladly affirm past our own inclinations that you will well-being among us, that you intend justice for the vulnerable, that you command mercy and compassion among us. 
Turn us before the day is out from, your, from our will to yours. Wean us before we sleep from our petty hopes. Relocate us in your eternal resolve that the earth may be fully your realm, that the world may reek with your shalom, that we ourselves may find our true freedom in your sovereign purpose. Yours, not ours, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And we are grateful. Amen.